0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. we are continuing in our series called happily ever after and what we're doing in this series is we are talking about what it is that every single person who is married wants but also uh, what all every person who wants to be married someday also wants which is to live happily ever after now uh, last week we actually kind of began this talking about this very very big very emotional idea um, that every single one of us has a, a list of hopes and dreams about what it is that our future will look like someday, about the kind of places that we're going to go, about um, where we're going to live someday, about what uh, we'll live in someday, the kind of vacations that we're going to take, about whether what time with friends will be like, about how much time we're going to spend together as a couple, about whether or not we're going to have kids or not. Are, gonna, are there going to be just a couple of kids or are there going to be a whole boatload of kids, right? All of us all of us bring some hopes and dreams into our future about what it is that we think that our future relationships are going to look like. And, And from my perspective, right, that's exactly what these things are. These are my hopes and these are my dreams. And we said last week, that's completely normal. That's absolutely normal. That's what every single one of us do. But what happens and what so many times that we are unaware of completely is that when we actually walk down that aisle, when we get married and we Say, I do to our spouse. Many times, what we do is we exchange our list of hopes and, and dreams with them. And when that happens, the very, very things that, from my perspective, are my hopes and my dreams, to my spouse, these things begin to feel like expectations. And like we said last week, this is not something that we're aware of when it's happening, it just seems to happen. To us, But when that happens, those, those very things that used to, to, to be so exciting to think about, those very things that we used to think, okay, wouldn't it be great if, right? Wouldn't it be nice if? Wouldn't it be wonderful someday if? Those very things become to begin to feel like expectations. And suddenly, suddenly our relationship starts to feel like you owe me, right? You owe me. That's what a husband is supposed to do. That's what a wife is supposed to do. That's how a man is supposed to behave in a relationship. That's how a woman is supposed to respond in a relationship. And we said that when any relationship, but especially a marriage, when it's characterized by this sense of of you owe me, the problem is that when that happens, that we are no longer able to recognize love in that relationship. We cannot give love, and we also cannot receive love. And when you cannot recognize love in a relationship, and again, this is true in any relationship, but it's especially true in marriage. When you cannot recognize love in a relationship, then what once was a covenant, then suddenly becomes nothing more than a contract. Right? See, this is why a long list of expectations begins to feel like, like pressure, on a marriage relationship every single day, right? Because, because if I meet those expectations, then maybe I can get our relationship back up to zero. But, but see, I can't ever do enough to actually make you feel like I love you. In fact, it never feels like it's enough because it always feels like there's something more that you are expecting from me, right? That's what it feels to, to live in a contract marriage. And contract marriages are not happily ever after marriages, Right? Contract marriages can work, but they're not intimate. Right? Contract marriages can last, but they are not life-giving. Because, see, a contract actually destroys that sense of oneness that thrives in a happily ever after marriage. And so last week, you know, we said, okay, so recognizing all that, I mean, how do we actually prevent that from happening? We asked the question, how do you actually keep those very legitimate hopes and dreams that, that we all have from feeling like expectations in our relationship? And so we said, to answer that question, we actually have to go to what's at the core of all happily ever after marriages in general, and, and Christian marriages specifically, and said that that was actually a statement made by the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we also recognize that this wasn't just the Apostle Paul's nice idea, right? This wasn't his just good idea. No, this was the Apostle Paul actually applying Jesus' final command to love each other the way that I, Jesus, have loved you. This was Paul applying Jesus' command to to marriage, and we also recognize that this, this, this command, this was the, the way that, that we live in a happily ever ma- after marriage with our spouse. We recognize that when I actually learn to love my spouse in this way, in a way that actually reflects Jesus' love for me, this is what transforms and takes our relationship away from that idea of what is it that you've done for me lately, Because this changes that to, to I'm here for you, and you're here for me, but I'm not here for you because you're here for me. No, I'm here for you because Jesus was here for me when I needed a Savior. And so we said this this idea of mutual submission, this is actually what changes the dynamic that exists between a husband and a wife. This is what changes the feel of a marriage relationship dramatically. Why? Because in the very same way that Jesus' death on the cross paid the debt of sin that I owe and that you owe our Heavenly Father, right? In that very same way, this is what actually allows us as husband and wives to live in a debt-free relationship with our spouse. This is what enables me and empowers me to, to do for my wife exactly what it is that my Heavenly Father did first for me through Jesus. And so when a husband and a wife actually get a hold of this, we said this is what actually changes the feel of that marriage relationship dramatically right then last week we ended with a little bit of a cliffhanger and we said okay so in light of all that what is it that I'm supposed to do personally right what am I individually supposed to do then with that list of hopes and dreams that I have now the good news is is that the apostle Peter in the scripture that we're going to look at today he actually answers this question definitively for us meaning that his answer not only applies in our romantic relationships, but it actually applies in every single area of life. Take out your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 5, which is on page 1,892 in the Bibles in front of you. Now, for some of us today, when we read what it is that the Apostle Peter, when we hear what the Apostle Peter has to say to us today, for some of us, um, there's going to be an almost kind of instinctive reaction to just you know, push back or dismiss or, or reject what it is that the, the Scripture is going to say when we, when we hear this answer from Peter about what we're to do with our hopes and our dreams. And, and so if that's your response, I want you to know I, I get it, but I just want to ask the question, okay, before we jump into the text together, I mean, what really is the alternative to what it is that Peter is going to say to us? I mean, what are we actually supposed to, to do with all these things. I mean, do we, just, do we just pretend, right? Is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to just pretend that these things aren't real? Are we supposed to just pretend like we don't actually have them? Right? Like, oh, no, I never wanted any, any kids. Oh, 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 no, I don't care at all how it is that we spend our, our free time. I mean, I have no vision at all when it comes to, to our future. I mean, I don't even care. We don't even have to live indoors. I mean, love will keep us alive, right? We don't need any money. I'll do all the work. It doesn't matter, right? I don't care. I mean, is that really what we're supposed to do with all these? Just ignore them? Just pretend like they're not real? Pretend like, like, like they don't exist to deny these things? I mean, see, the truth is, for some of you, you, you spent years, you spent years putting things on this list. And, and you know what, the, for, for many of you, what's on your list, these things are good. In fact, in fact, they're probably all good. In fact, the truth is, probably a lot of what's on your list actually stems from the fact that you are made in the image of God. And so to, to ignore or just pretend like these things aren't real, to act like these things aren't actually in your heart, right, to deny that these things rattle around, these God-given things rattle around in your soul, I mean, eventually your marriage isn't going to be healthy because truthfully you are not going to be healthy, right? So, so just pretending or ignoring or acting like these things aren't real, that, that, that in no way makes your marriage better, does it? I and mean, what's the other alternative? Where it would just keep doing more? Right? We just spend more time, put, just put more time into work. Put more time into my hobbies, more time into golf, more time into hunting. Right? More, more time maybe into the kids. More time at, at the gym working out. So that kind of at the end of the day, you're just nothing more than, than roommates living together. I mean, is that what we're supposed to do? I mean, that, that's, that's not what you... That's not what you got into this for, is it? I mean, that's not fun. That, that's not what you were picturing when, when you said, you know, will you? Or when you said yes? Right? See, in, in, the, the problem with this one is that this actually works. In fact, this is a, a coping mechanism, Right? See, the problem, however, with this is that what this communicates to your spouse is that I am as disinterested in this marriage as you are. That's what staying busy says. When the truth is, that may not be the case at all. In fact, you would actually do anything in your power if you could get your husband or your wife to actually re-engage or engage in the marriage relationship in some kind of meaningful way. But see, the truth is, you just feel so much hurt over these things you just don't know what else to do, so you just keep staying busy. You keep doing more. right? See, at best, busy becomes a coping mechanism. But at its worst, busy just sets you up for the third option, which is to go find somebody new. Now, if you're in a a relationship and you've been dating for a couple of weeks, dating maybe for a couple of months, or if you're honest, and even though you'd probably never say this out loud, if the only reason that you're still together is because you're just kind of afraid to be alone and somehow it suddenly dawns on you that, that your list of hopes and dreams is actually nothing at all like the person that you're dating's list of hopes and dreams, right? then, the, then see, the truth is, you probably should end that relationship or, or, or change that relationship. Because these things are incredibly, incredibly important. But see, if you are in a serious relationship, and, and obviously, clearly, if you are married, Right, than just simply getting out of that relationship or trying to change that relationship, more than likely that is not going to solve anything, is it? Why? Right? Because in the very profound words of Mike Brady in the 1995 cinematic masterpiece, right, the Brady Bunch movie, wherever you go, there you are. Now that's deep, isn't it? Right, But the point is simply this. Whatever part of the relationship problem that you are, right, you're just going to bring that with you into your next relationship. And, and again, let's be honest for a minute. I mean, why, why is it that we change relationships like that so quickly anyway? I mean, it's not because we can't, we can't wait to, to be selfless with somebody new, is it? No, it's because I got this list of hopes and dreams I've been carrying around and this thing's getting heavy and I need to find somebody new to give it to. Right? And so and so the truth is none of these three things are actually good options. Are they? And so that's why the apostle Peter says to us, right? Peter who knew Jesus, Peter who actually listened to Jesus and Peter who was married, right? It's why Peter says to us in verse 5 of chapter 5. He says, "All of you So again, that would be all of us, right? All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So notice the Apostle Peter, he doesn't use the same exact words as Paul did last week when he tells us to submit to one another, but he definitely picks up on the same idea, doesn't he? Peter makes a very significant relationship statement. In fact, it's a statement that applies to all relationships, but it's one that has a very unique and special application to marriage. He says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Now, let me tell you a little bit about biblical humility for a moment. Biblical humility, this is very important. Biblical humility is not about the whole idea, because you're the boss, I must therefore be humble. right? Or because you're rich and I'm not I have to be humble, or because you're the husband and I'm the wife. It's it's none of that. Biblical humility is not about responding to another person based on rank or wealth or position. Right? No, biblical humility is a decision that says, I'm going to choose. I'm going to freely choose, not because of who you are and who I'm not, not because of who you are not and who I am, none of that. No, I'm just going to freely choose to put your need ahead of my need, your interest ahead of my interests. See, biblical humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And biblical humility certainly is not allowing somebody else to to harm you or degrade you or manipulate you or humiliate you. Right? That's not humility That's abuse, okay? Humility. Biblical humility is, listen, I've got a list of hopes and dreams. You've got a list of hopes and dreams. And so I'm just going to freely choose to put your list ahead of my list. Biblical humility is simply putting another person's needs ahead of your own. And so Peter says... As followers of Jesus, we just simply do what Jesus did first for us. That's what biblical humility actually looks like. It means that in your marriage, as a relationship between husband and wife, you are to think, we are to think, in terms of what is it that I can actually do to put my spouse's list ahead of my own. Now, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking to yourself, okay, wait a second. You told me that this week we were going to talk about my list. Why is it that we're talking about humility? Why is it we're talking about their list again? You said we were going to talk about my list. And Peter says, Hang on, hang on. We'll get there, I promise. I just thought you might want to know this first, Peter says, because see, God, he opposes the proud. I was like, What was that? And Peter's like, Yeah. I thought you might want to know that. God, see, he opposes the proud. You don't want God to oppose you, do you? And see, before we go judging God a little too harshly, I mean, let's just be honest. This is what, I mean, this is what you do, right? This is what I do, isn't it? I mean, we're not drawn to to arrogant people, are you? I mean, don't you resist demanding people? Don't you resist entitled people? Don't you resist people who are always trying to get something from you and never... Thinking about how their actions or their behaviors actually impact you? And it's like, well, yeah, of course. And see, Peter says, well, you actually get that from your heavenly father. Because your heavenly father, he opposes the proud. But Peter says, see, he gives grace to the humble. Now, this is an incredible, incredible promise because Peter is saying, listen, that when you actually humble yourself in your relationship, this is an invitation for God to give you the strength that you need, to give you the endurance that you need, to give you the power that you need to do something that you would never naturally be able to do on your own, that humility is an invitation for God to intervene, So Peter says, listen, you want God to intervene in your marriage? Go humble. Don't go arrogant. Don't go demanding. Go humble. And Peter says, God will give you what you need in that moment for that moment. In fact, this is so important to to the Apostle Peter. He repeats himself in the very next verse. And he tells us, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And listen, this is not this picture. Right? That is not what, what Peter is saying to us. It's not humble yourself under God's mighty hand like this. No, he's saying, okay, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand as a covering, right? as a protective covering, as a covering of authority, of a, as a covering of God's protection. And see, Peter, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter is the one who actually becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so Peter was Jewish thoroughly Jewish, both inside and out. And so when Peter chooses these words, humble yourselves, he does that very, very intentionally but he, but, because he knows that for Jewish people, these words had tremendous meaning. Because every time in the Old Testament when, when God would tell the nation of Israel to humble themselves, what he was saying to them was, I want you to declare your dependence and announce your obedience. Declare your dependence and announce your obedience. And declare to God and say, God, you're God and I'm not. And so because of that, God, the answer is yes. No matter what it is that you ask. God, in fact, the answer is yes before I even know what the question is. Now, why in the world would God want us to do that? Why would God want us to humble ourselves like that? Why would he want us to declare our dependence on him? peter tells us right so that he so that god may actually lift you up in due time see don't miss this this is god saying the whole reason i want you dependent on me is so that i can actually lift you up that is an incredible promise the problem however right are these words right here in due time in due time right because my version of due time is different than God's version of due time, isn't it? In fact, I'll tell you this. You and I, we should not be the ones who determine what due time is, should we? Right, because see, the truth is this. You and I, we are the very same people who burn our mouths on a hot pocket. Now, if you don't understand, if you don't know, a hot pocket is, is created with a very specific intention of having a very hot meal very quickly. And so you put that into a microwave, and yet we cannot even wait on that Right? So we should not be the ones who determine what due time really is. And so, of course, our response to God is going to be, okay, God, I heard the sermon on Sunday. I'm applying it on Monday. And so, God, I'm thinking by 5 o'clock Thursday, you know, there ought to be some change happening in my marriage. But see, God says, no, no, humble yourselves. Right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under my mighty hand, that I may lift you up. In due time. And see, due time might not be at the end of the message. It might not be at the end of the day. It might not be at the end of the week. Due time might even be after a few months, after a few years. God will intervene. That is his promise to you in due time time. So where does that leave us? What are we supposed to do while we wait? What are we supposed to do meanwhile while we're waiting for God to intervene? What am I supposed to do with my list of hopes and dreams? Peter gets incredibly practical with us in the very next verse and he tells us. He tells us in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him, on, on God. Why? Because he cares For you, Peter says, listen, cast it onto him. Throw it onto him. Put it onto him. Peter says, listen, get that list of hopes and dreams. Get it out of your hands, right? Get it out of your spouse's hands. And literally, Peter says, put it into God's hands. See, maybe, maybe, just maybe, the anxiety that you feel, the anxiousness that you feel, around your list of hopes and dreams coming true actually comes from you trying to carry something, from you trying to get your spouse to carry something that you and that they were never meant to carry in the first place. But but God, those are my hopes and dreams. God, I always thought. God, I always believed. God, I, I always expected. And God says, listen, I know. I know how much that list of hopes and dreams means to you, but that doesn't mean that you can carry them. That doesn't mean that you can control them. How much of the fighting in our marriages? Right, how much of the whole you owe me in our marriages, how, how much of the winning, conforming, compromising, and scorekeeping in our marriages comes from trying to carry or trying to get our husband or trying to get our wife to carry something that you and that they were never meant to carry in the first place? See, because God cares for you, you can cast your cares. You can cast your list of hopes and dreams on to Him. In fact, it is because, it is precisely because He cares for you that He wants to carry that list of hopes and dreams that you, that your spouse, were never meant to carry. And see, maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, okay. Joe, I really appreciate the emotional, you know, the sentimentality of it all. It's just so nice. I mean, I really, good job. Also nice and warm and happy and fuzzy. I just, but I got to tell you, I mean, honestly, really? I mean, isn't that just a little vague? I mean, isn't that just a little general? I mean, cast all your cares on him because he cares. I mean, isn't just a little, isn't that just a little general? I mean, Really? Joe, really, you really expect me to believe that God actually cares about my hopes and my dreams? I mean, are you really telling me that, that God actually cares about my dreams personally? I mean, what is it that God, after all, what, what has God ever done? I mean, what has God ever done to show? I mean, what is it that God has ever done to prove that he even knows what my list of hopes and dreams are? I mean, what has God ever done to show me that he is even actually aware of my hopes and dreams, that he cares? What has God done to ever prove that he cares about my future, about my life personally, about who I am, about what my hopes and dreams really are? I mean, what has God ever done... To show me that. I mean, has God ever said anything? Has God ever done anything to make me believe that he actually cares about me? See, at the core of our faith right, is a cross. It's not just a bunch of words that God said. It's something that he did to prove, to show you, me, personally, that he really does care, that he really does know, that he is not distant, that he is not apathetic to that list of hopes and dreams that we try to carry. In fact, in this very scripture, God is saying very clearly to all of us, no, listen, I understand all of that. In fact, perhaps the most empathetic thing that God has ever done was to allow his son to actually walk this planet, to feel what it is that we feel, and then to willingly sacrifice himself for us, for you, right? See, the reason, why, the reason why the cross of Jesus is just so absolutely crucial and central to understanding what it is that actually makes a marriage happily ever after is because it reminds us that, listen, if God is willing to carry us, then he's willing to carry our hopes and our dreams as well. See, the reason why your hopes and dreams actually matter to God is because you matter to God. And so God says, listen, if it's important to you, then it's important to me because, see, this is what you can know for certain. That I care intensely about you. That nothing is off limits for you to actually bring to me, God says, for you to put on me. For you to cast onto me as your heavenly Father. Now, there's one... More thing that we have to talk about this morning before we wrap up, and that's the fact that see in happily ever after marriage, we actually have to talk about these things, right because like we said earlier in happily ever after marriages, we don't just pretend we don't just stay busy and we don't go finding somebody new, and so that means that there has to be conversations, there has to be conversations between us and our heavenly Father, and there also have to be conversations between each of us in our relationships as well. And so I want to I help you with that. And so this is actually on the back of your outline today, so you have this to take, take home with you. And, and so real, real quick, I just want to give you some ways that you can start talking about all these things as a couple, right? Because, see, first, humbling ourselves means, it actually means confessing to each other those things that we have on our list of hopes and dreams that we have turned into expectations on our spouse. I just want to confess to you that these are some hopes and dreams that I have, and I know that I've loaded these onto you, and I've turned these into an expectation of you, and so for doing that, I am sorry. You, You simply start by confessing to each other in the areas where you know that you've loaded your hopes and dreams onto your spouse, and then second, you each take turns asking each other two questions, right? The first question is just simply this, where do you feel pressure to actually live up to my expectations, right? Because, because maybe I missed one, right? I confessed what I, what I knew that I was loading onto you as an expectation, but, but maybe you're living under an expectation for something that I'm not even aware of, that I don't even know, and yet you're living with this every single day, and you're just trying to keep a, a happy face every day, and I'm not even aware, And then the next question is just simply, what is it that I can do personally to make our marriage richer, right? What can I do personally to make our relationship richer? And see, the truth is, this is just another way of asking the question, right? What what exactly is on your list? Now, do not go to your spouse and say, okay, I, I want you to tell me everything that's on your list of hopes and dreams. Please hear me on this, because one, guys, women want us to figure that out on our own, right? And second, second, do not say to your spouse, tell me everything, right? Because the truth is, over the course of time, over the course of a marriage, over the course of every marriage and every relationship, there are just going to be some hopes and dreams that all of us have that just cannot become a reality, period, right? And so to just bring all those things out and say, I have always dreamt that, I have always wished that, I have always hoped that, and to load those onto your husband or your wife, I mean, they're going to always feel like a failure. Because they know. They know they cannot make all of those hopes and dreams come true. I mean, the truth is there are some hopes and dreams that all of us have that we have to put on the shoulders of our Heavenly Father, right, for the rest of maybe our marriage, maybe for even for the rest of our lives in this world. But you don't bring those out and put those on your husband or your spouse, right? Because, and and for example, for example, um, when Autumn and I were engaged, and and we, I still remember this, when we were engaged and we were sitting at her older sister's wedding, right, right after the vows were exchanged, her older sister's, you know, brand spanking new husband Um, Turns and in front of the whole congregation begins to sing this incredible song to his brand new wife. And I could see how significant this was to Otto, right? I mean, I could just tell how meaningful this was to her and how important this was to her. And so I looked at her, and I kind of nudged her a little bit, and I said, hey, you don't expect me, you know, to do that, do you? Right? And and she just kind of chuckled and looked at me. She's like, no, 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 please, Please do not do that because, listen, I can't clap and sing at the same time, right? I mean, i got to choose. Seriously, which one is it going to be? Are we clapping right now or are we singing right now? I can't do both. Right? Because, see, the truth is, the truth is we do. We live in a world where there really is. There is sin, there is regret, and there is failure. And so the truth is there are some dreams, right, that maybe that we have that just can't come true. And so, how unfair of us to actually load those things onto our husband or our wife. And then finally, the last is this just reward what grows the relationship. Right? And the principle here is, is that what is rewarded will be repeated. Because see, the truth is, the truth is, sometimes we actually do things that make our spouse, make uh, that person feel um, very, very loved because we're actually fulfilling something on their list of hopes and dreams. And sometimes we don't even know. We're not even aware. And yet they're thrilled about it. Right? But if they don't find some way to reward us, if they don't show us or they don't tell us, we may never, ever do it again. Right, Because we're completely clueless. We have no idea that we just did that and we just totally miss it. Right? See, this is actually what communicates. This is what actually shows that other person that, that we want to discover what it is that's on their list of hopes and dreams without us making, us making us feel like this is somehow my responsibility or like this is a burden that I'm supposed to carry somehow. Now, Next week, next week, we're going to begin for the next two weeks. We're going to be talking about masculinity and femininity and what it is that God has, has designed and what he wants us to experience, all of us, as men and women in this world and as men and women in our marriages. And so you don't want to be, you don't want to miss those next two weeks. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, for every single one of us, as, as we think about our relationships, the relationships you've given to us, uh, especially, Father, our marriages, all of us, all, all every single one of us here. Um, there's so many different emotions that come to mind, uh, all the way from, from gratitude and thankfulness to, to sometimes, Father, regret and hurt and everything in between. And so, Father, my prayer this morning, first and foremost, is that Because we do fall short. Because we fall short not only in our relationship with you, but also in our relationship with each other, not only in our marriages, but in our friendships, in our family relationships, as in our relationships between parents and children. Father, in all these relationships, we do fall short. And yet, Jesus, what you did is you humbled yourself. You went first for us. You put our needs ahead of your need. And you forgave us. You gave to us that gift of forgiveness, Jesus, when we didn't deserve it, when we certainly didn't earn it, and when we didn't behave in a way that you should have ever given us anything. And yet, Jesus, you have given to each one of us this gift of forgiveness, and now you have said and you have given us this command to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And Jesus, we know that it's not by our power. We can't do that. Jesus, that's you. That's the Holy Spirit. That is your spirit living inside of us that enables us and empowers us to do something way beyond what any of us could ever do on our own. And so, Father, this morning I pray for all of us. I pray that in all of our relationships that we would treat each other That we would love each other, Jesus, the way that you have first loved us. And Father, I ask that as we take a few moments and as we confess our sin personally to you, that Holy Spirit, perhaps you would bring to our minds, individually, personally, silently, maybe that thing, that situation, that expectation, perhaps that we need to confess to somebody in our life as well. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, he really did go first for us. That he went first to the cross for us. That we would not owe that debt of sin to our heavenly father. That we could actually live in a brand new relationship with him and a brand new relationship with each other, and so just as Jesus, as your death on the cross, has forgiven each one of us of our sin personally, Father, my prayer for all of us as a church this morning, and this weekend, is that we would live with each other, the people we know, the relationships that we have, the people at work, and especially in our marriages and in our families, is that we would live in a debt-free relationship with them, Jesus, just as you live with us in a debt-free relationship, making your Father our Father. All this, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.